I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help and I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to a sky full of stars tonight for Thriving Matters Studio. Enjoy a little bit of Coldplay. Hi, Chris Smythe. How are you tonight? Hi, Carrie. How are you? <laughs> and we have Catherine Jackson. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? Hey, Carrie. We'll get started. A little bit of Coldplay. And I, I love the title of the, the song because it's a sky full of stars. And I know, Chris, where you are currently leading is absolutely magnificent sky full of stars up in the Armidale region of, of northern New South Wales. And I know, Catherine, you've you've worked there and you're currently in Queensland. So these, the sky is full of stars, particularly out of the, uh, the city areas. So welcome tonight. Um, Thriving Matters Studio is all about education matters at the moment. And we've been doing a series over the last... Uh, six, seven weeks. And tonight I'm bringing you two of Australia's leading um, specialists, education specialists in school improvement for learning and teaching. And so it's going to be a juicy conversation tonight. Uh, A little bit about both of my guests tonight. Um, I'll I'll start with uh, with the rose between the thorns. Perhaps, Catherine, I'm going to call you the rose tonight. So, um, Catherine Jackson um, is the principal at uh, Leopard Tree um, Consultancy and her background has crossed many continents as well as states in Australia. A whole range of expertise from system and school leadership roles um, into her own consultancy. So uh, you'll hear a little bit about what Catherine does with um, amazing um emotional intelligence and uh, a very strong interpersonal relationships with those she works with. She's got a keen interest in EI, in leading change, building and sustaining change for school improvement, coaching leaders, Mm -hmm. a a really strong focus on wellbeing and health and executive coaching. And uh, really, Catherine's effect and influence is always making your workplace a better place to be. So you're very welcome, Catherine. And if I've missed out anything like, you know, you love bungee jumping or, you know, you're an artist, that sort of thing, you can add that as we go along. (laughs) How are you tonight? Yeah, I'm very well. Carrie, thanks for that warm introduction. I can't wait to hear what you say about Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, well, yes. I think Chris's into caving, aren't you, Chris? Or canoe, you know, rapid, rapid canoeing. Or... <laughs> anyway, Chris Chris Smythe is um, also um, a leader within his own right, and his expertise over many years in education has moved from the classroom all the way through to systems leadership um, through a number of leadership roles. So he has a really strong understanding of. All the different steps most of our teachers uh, take when they're moving into leadership roles, from coordinator roles into assistant principal, principal roles, and then into working in administration and system roles, working liaising with government, through government policy. And he's currently the director of Catholic Schools Office in the Armidale Diocese of New South Wales. Now, I do want to declare that I have known both these wonderful educators for a number of years. So I want to thank them for popping on for the conversation tonight because it's really um, about what we've learnt whilst we've been in a very different educational experience during the COVID pandemic that we've experienced. And uh, I know we're not in Victoria this evening where we have more um a return back to virtual um, education, whether we call it home education, whether we call it learning from home, whatever it is that we name it. 
I know, though, in New South Wales we and Queensland, we don't have the same um, impact that uh, Victoria is actually undergoing at the same time. So thinking of our colleagues in Victoria, thank you very much. So uh, I'd like to say, Chris, well, I'm just wondering, um, I think you, uh, you know, you like to jump in a parachute out, out of uh, out of high planes. <laughs> I think what I think what you both do, you have a love of continual learning and um, that notion of being the best for the situation, the context you're in, really shows up in your work you do. So you're both very welcome this evening. So let's have a juicy conversation. <laughs> now, Chris, I'm going to start with you because. You have a large area of schools that are all part of a family, basically, a system together, and you're the director of that system. So when we talk school improvement and a culture of school improvement, um, give us a bit of a snapshot of uh, what, what really um, puts a smile on your face, what gets your heart pumping, what's the passion around this area? Oh, I think um, I think school performance and uh, uh, having a system of schools that focuses on school performance is really important. And I'm very keen on systemness, and uh, that means um, strong collaboration between a network of schools, um, between schools and within schools, uh, and building on a clear, well-articulated vision that says this is how you improve schools. This is how you measure your impact on school improvement and um, giving people the resources, people, money, um, sharing resources so that they can um, improve conditions for student learning, teaching, leadership, mm. well-being, all continually on an ongoing basis. Well, I think you're, the, some of the magic words in there are around sharing and collaboration and uh, working together. So that's, that's how I know of your work. Um, and uh, it would give you great joy to be able to work with schools who have the same uh, um, impression, the same desire to work together for the benefit um, of, of the, the learning of their students. But Kathy, what about you? Um, your, your focus, you work one-on-one, -on -one, you work with leadership teams, you work in a whole lot of areas um, around school improvement. So. What puts a smile on your face, uh, gets your heart racing, basically, around the work that you do? Look, I think first of all, it's really important. You know, it means something. It's the work we do, we're privileged in terms of the fact that we make a difference. And what comes along with making a difference is that it's hard work, isn't it? It's, it's not simple, it's complex. Um, and it's always going to improve. And even though I work, I do work one-on-one -on -one, and that's great work but almost invariably the focus of that one-on-one -on -one work is how you work well with other people and then I often work with um, leadership teams and school teams of various configurations and I think that's when I really get a smile on my face when I see people <laughs> working together and teams really working effectively um, building you know that building that sense of trust and shared shared mission and shared purpose um, to get the important work done. So, yes, I think it's really about the fact that the sort of work we do is too hard to do on your own. And the only way yeah. to really get traction and impact in our work is for people to be working really effectively together. I think you make a really good point there. And what I um, know of both of you is that you have worked in all different systems of education in Australia and overseas, whether it be system uh, like a Catholic school system, whether it's government school system, whether it's working with um, uh, liaising between the, the administration bodies. Um, so you've got a strong background in uh, perhaps the nuances of each of the systems, but the core from what I hear from both of you is that it's all about the people and getting the most effective um, performance and thinking out of the people that you're working with for, for, for school improvement. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd support what um, Catherine's saying about, uh, we, we would use expressions now even since post-COVID around high-performing teams, you know, getting the, getting the leadership team right, getting the middle leaders right, getting the teams that may work as stage partners right, 
once you get the, the relationships right and they understand yeah. what good teamwork looks like, then you can get them to identify the right work. And the right work is looking probably different since, since this year. And once you've got the right work, you get to work and you start to measure the impact of your work. And that's what good teams do. And, and yeah. high-functioning teams affect where the kids learn well, where the kids are safe and happy at school, impacts upon teachers and how they, they um, enjoy their profession, how motivated they are, how inspired they are to make a difference every day. So it really is. Um, increasingly, it's been about teamwork. It always has been, but I think we understand it better now. And schools that did well during remote learning were schools that already had strong foundations around professional learning teams because they, they understood how each other worked and they had good relationships both within the team and between the teachers and the students and between the teachers and the parents. And the, there's been an explosion in, in terms of that, the latter, the relationship with parents and, and the importance of that. But um, that that's just still relates back to the high-performing teams that, that Catherine was talking about. Well, that's, um, that's a great segue into talking about the culture of, of school improvement and how COVID has given us an opportunity to put a bit of a spotlight on what we previously had done. And Chris, you've just given us a great um, in to what's the difference? What are you, what are you seeing that um, has been different to what we've already, already done, we've always done? Um, around school improvement and that notion of the relationships between our teachers, between our leadership teams, between our parents and our students, because you're talking a partnership model there. Yeah, I suppose the partnership is the relationship that yeah. is the basis of teamwork. And if there's teamwork between parents and teachers, between teachers and students and between the teachers as well, then... Um, you're more likely to, to improve conditions for for student learning and for student well-being and for the leaders in the school as well. Um, that's very important. Um, I suppose you're, you're talking more about what we've learned as a result of COVID. Well, I suppose in the I just just briefly, I just talk about parents. I suppose we know that um, because kids were at home and parents were at home in some cases, um, looking after them and trying to help them with their learning, teachers were um, communicating more with parents. They were doing it on the phone. Um, they were doing it through Zoom. Um, they were doing it in writing. Um, support staff, support staff in in AEAs. Um, um, teachers were, were were, I suppose, in regular contact with parents. And parents, I suppose, through that communication. Um, feel a better connection with schools. Um, they not only feel better connected, they actually, um, I think they're going to be more confident in participating in their their children's learning. And they, at the same time, I think, which was fantastic for the profession, there's a whole newfound respect for teachers in there as well and the work that they and, do. And what you're saying, Chris, you, you're not alone in saying it. In the last um, previous episodes that we've had, um, that's exactly what's happened. The parents have basically said, we, we've never had so much communication. We know you, mm. you care about us. You know you're caring about our children and we want the very best. Um, so, I don't know, Catherine, have you found that too with, with the schools that you've been working with, the teams that you've been working with? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the big takeouts of this whole mm. um, situation, which we never would have invited, but uh, you know, I'm thinking about thinking about running workshops on difficult situations. Bear with me. There's a connection here. You know, having a difficult, you know, being in a difficult conversation, a difficult situation, having to have a difficult conversation. You know, I say to people, you have no right to have a difficult conversation until you've had lots of positive conversations. You know, and once you've got that relationship with people, difficult conversations aren't so difficult. And I think ironically, the whole COVID situation has brought about lots of productive, positive, helpful conversations with parents in particular. You know? Well, previously, the, some parents had the experience of the only um, contact they had from schools 
was when there was a problem. Mm. And that sets up a really unfortunate dynamic. So I mm. think the fact that this context has forced us to relate with parents as partners, to uh, communicate with parents in terms of mm. proactive work and good news and being helpful, um, hopefully that's something we can use. Hopefully that's one of the things out of all of these that we hang on to and go forward with because it's been quite a revolution in a lot of places. Yeah. And I, can I, can yeah. I, oh, sorry. I just think that go, the example go. of that is in the, um, uh, I think that's really important, Catherine, that whole concept of parents suddenly being involved in positive conversations. We, we found um, we were working on it and there was a little bit of resistance around moving parent-teacher nights into a more, um, I'll, I'll use the word collaborative thing again. Uh, so more and more schools very quickly this year because they wanted to report differently, they moved into student-led conferencing in place of parent-teacher, the traditional parent-teacher interview. And so the conversations where a student is leading the conversation with their parent or carer there and the mm -hmm. teacher, they're what, they were the sort of conversations Catherine's describing. They were positive conversations about the learning goals of the student, about how well the student was doing. And it was facilitated by, you know, a young person who was really pleased with what they were doing. And I, I don't think a lot of parents probably have not experienced that before. Well, that brings up student voice, doesn't it? The, the voice of the students who, who know what it is that they enjoy with their learning. They know what good learning design is. They, they enjoy, um, you know, doing things uh, perhaps a little bit differently than what they did in the classroom. So I think that's, that's a major plus because it's very easy to make a story up about um, how you see each other in education when you actually don't know um, what what is actually going on or you think you know what's going on so those parent teacher um uh conferences would have been refreshing would have been totally refreshing and um i'm really pleased to hear that there's a new found respect for teachers because you know our largest um in, uh, careers policing health and in education have been at the forefront so our teachers really actually have been under the pump since the first the first uh, part of this year, early this year, around their own well-being, the well-being of their own families and those of the students that they're, they're teaching. So it's like a bit like a trifecta, isn't it? So I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. You must have some amazing stories to tell of what's been going on in country towns where your schools are where the school is a big community there, or even when you've got the tiny little remote schools? Because I know, Chris, you've got a variety of sizes and populations of your school's communities. So you must have heard some absolutely amazing stories of how people have come together for wellbeing and to say, right, we, we'll get through this together. We can do it together. Yeah, I, I, I think there have been. I mean, we had some schools. Remember, the COVID's come off the back of, of bushfires and um, yeah. drought, and uh, and yeah. a lot of um, you know a lot of serious concerns in some of the towns about unemployment and the impact of bushfires and drought. Um, and mm -hmm. so a number of schools before COVID were already running community events um, to try to boost the morale of the of the community. But when COVID came, of course, everyone went retreated back into their houses, but. You know, I think I think they've have used social media really effectively, just like our schools have used Zoom effectively to just maintain connections and maintain relationships. And and I think they've you know when we've come out of it, some of those connections have been better than they were before we went in. So yeah, there's, there's those sorts of stories, the sorts yeah. of events that happen in the school halls or the local pubs or um, the parks and so on. And there's still a lot of work being happening been happening in that yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about um, the type of professional development or professional learning our teachers uh, would have been involved in during COVID. And um, I wondered, um, has there been an alteration or a change? Have you noticed anything that's different about what their needs were um, that you've been able to address that you know that the 
the, the, you know, the local autonomy of the school was able to say, right, this is exactly what we need at the moment. We're going to uh, let this um, pass for the moment and we're, we're going to focus on... Uh, there was a lot done on wellbeing and um, that's that's been a topic that's uh, continued to come to the fore all the time. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the professional learning and what what you've noticed has been the difference or where you think, you know, the, the diocesan strategy has gone towards or individual schools have gone towards. And, Catherine, you would have um, some input on that as well from the work that you're doing. So I'll let you two have a bit of a, a chat about that. Um, really shone a spotlight on well-being of everyone. The, the other thing that's come up to me um, in relation to that is the um, people look to leaders in these situations, you know. So I think the expectations on school leaders have really been sharpened. Some of those are in relation to wellbeing yeah. and stuff, sometimes in relation to community support, sometimes in relation to curriculum continuity and, and use of um, technologies and so on. But I think it's really highlighted the fact that um, People are looking to leaders and they're looking to leaders for answers and they're looking to leaders for support and they want their leaders to be visible um, more so than ever. And again, you know, I would, I would go to the fact that they're not looking to one person. They're looking to the team of leaders in the school. And we're looking, I think, in these sorts of situations, we need real leadership density in the school. Like what's being demanded of our leaders in this last little while is it's just not capable. You know, one person cannot deliver this, right? Yeah. So, again, we need um, teams of leaders, we need teams of teams, and we need leadership at all levels, At obviously at, at national and state level, but at system level. We need strong, you know, collaborative leadership. At school level, we need strong collaborative leadership. And, and I think that's been... A real challenge for leaders as they're looking after their own well-being, their own well-being of their own families, often their own children, as well as trying to look after communities. So I think it's it's been a tough gig, um, and for the most part, I think they they've risen to this beautifully. But it can't be a solo exercise. It's too complex. No. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the cost the cost for an individual leader to take everything on and um, be sort of the, what I'd call the grand poobah, um, that, that is just too great. And it's, it's, it's an outdated mode of leadership. It's, it's outdated now because all, all the research and literature is saying it, it's around the teams. It's about the development. So it goes to those, um, you know, each, each of us working together. It's like that um, invisible uh, little bit of um, an injection of uh, power into each of us so that we can walk, work together and walk together um, to, to, to share this. Um, it goes to the, um, you know, yeah, it goes to relationships. And uh, so whilst we're all, yes, um, sort of thriving in a way that's helping us manage our day-to-day -day, but also being able to say, to say to our colleagues, we're all going through this together at various stages, let's, let's, let's work together. Um, I think it's yeah, critical. Just yeah. looking at the areas. I think, that, I think the professional learning reality of schools is, like Catherine said, it's um, it's about the leader has to be adaptive and adapt to the local context. But at the same time, if they don't share their leadership, don't distribute leadership, uh, then their own self-care is not very good and their own well-being will just go down the spout. And so we are seeing learning teams, uh, teachers, learning teams of students too, but learning teams of teachers. We've always, we've known for a long time now that on-site professional learning of teachers in teams, doing action research around to find out what works best, often to change their beliefs um, through new practices that change their belief. That's the way that teachers learn most effectively. And they had to do it quickly. It's the quickest action research project we've ever run in yeah. terms of seeing what the need was, having some hunches, drawing up a hypothesis, coming up with a plan, implementing it and evaluating it on the run. And that's a really um, big
big ask of any professional, but teams of people doing that can do it. And we've got, you know, we've got data around, um, we've taken data around how people felt about that. We asked parents how they felt about it, um, leaders how they felt about it. And, you know, un unreservably, people were really proud of what, what was achieved. So professional learning, meeting in response to immediate need, um, teachers having some choice in their learning, um, yeah. it really has a big um, impact on how, I suppose, even about how satisfied they feel about what they do every day. And it's really, I mean, leaders at the end of the day, they've just got to keep teachers motivated and inspired to keep doing what they do. Mm. Um, and that's that's been a real challenge for everybody because some of it's been long hours and, you know, lots of mm. new work, dealing with new technology sometimes for some people. Um, but they, they, they had a go and they were very successful. And I think that's why the respect for teachers should be there because they... They just responded so quickly um, to a really difficult situation. Well, one of the things really that I, I I believe helped people on was that they weren't alone in it. They're all in it together. Like it wasn't an isolated case. It was the, the community. This is how we're going to do it. And um, there's a great comment here from um, from Gary, followed on by one from Heidi Jean, you know, talking about our early career teachers who really were provided with many opportunities to shine and provide professional development within their own school communities. Um, you know, the early career teachers created, um, you know, a Catholic professional learning community at its best through the tough times in COVID. Now, that's that's beautiful recognition from a teacher who's who's not only teaching with these young teachers but has, has got years of experience on them, um, but looking in on it going, you know what, they rose to the occasion. And it was because we had a community around us. So thank you, Heidi, for that. Um, it's it's nice yeah, to thanks, see. Heidi. <laughs> that's good. So Chris, you, Chris and Catherine, you might recognise some of the names that pop up in the chat <laughs> as, as we go through. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I think early career early career teachers really, um, you know, they really benefited from the time to step back and. Um, <laughs> I suppose at the end of the day, plan and program without um, 30 students in front of them on in the same way as they're used to. But it's just different planning, different sort of work. But mm. they certainly got, got to think about what was essential learnings mm. and what were strategies that were going to work um, in a remote situation. And yeah. um, that's that's a really big challenge as, a, as an early career teacher. Mm. So, I mean, it come, brings to mind, though, if this is how we did it under these uh, different circumstances, what could we let go of that um, is perhaps hindering the, the nature of being able to make decisions for the needs of the students, the needs of, the, of fellow teachers, the needs of families, um, and that role of partnership, what, what could we let go of that might, would be, not might, but should be something we consider as we go forward? Because it's highly possible that we will continue to have um, COVID um, uh, viruses that come in and out. The nature of, of this particular virus is that it does mutate. It wants to live like most viruses. It wants to, wants to live. So, you know, with the advent of a vaccine coming perhaps early next year, um, it's, you know, they're talking about something like a flu injection that has to be based on a different strain or strains each year because it because it creates, it's it keeps uh, creating itself. So I suppose if we're in this situation again, what do we take from what we've what we've been through? What do we get rid of? Any thoughts? <laughs> Karen, it's interesting. I was thinking about our conversation and what came up for me was um, the work of Neil Pashrika, who you may know. He wrote all those books that have got awesome in the title, you know, You Are Awesome, yep. You Have an yep. Awesome Day and so on. And he has a two-minute reflection for the beginning of his day, which I love. And it, it, he just um, encourages people to take two minutes, beginning of the day, think, answering three questions. What will I focus on today? 
what will I let go of today? And what will I be grateful for today? And and I think they're great mm. for, for a reflection about your day, but I think they work just as well for COVID. I mean, what do we know now that we need to focus on? You know, and the answer for that will be different in different communities. And what do we need to let go of? I think this is such an important question because there is plenty to let go of. Yeah. Um, oh. We've been carrying on about cluttered curriculum and, you know, overworked teachers and, you know, being overwhelmed for years now. And some of that stuff has been let go. So let's let it go. Yeah. And then I think that third question is, you know, what are we going to be grateful for? Mm. You know, what are those things that have happened that we don't want to let go of that have been really crucial to everybody getting through that? And um, I've been trying to, you know, get teams to grapple with those questions. What what are we focusing on now? What are we what are we letting go of and what are we grateful for? Because I think if you can get your answers to those questions, you're gonna have a pretty good um, sense of direction for the next steps. Yeah, I think that's great questions. What do you, what do you focus on? Um, what do you let go? We've been um, talking about. Uh, I mean, Dylan Williams has been saying it for years that, that um, teachers do lots of good things, and we've been saying to our teachers, stop doing good things, um, do less. Yeah. And um, and it's really hard for teachers to let go of things that they think are good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But doing less, and like we've said to them, this this. It's too much assessment. Get rid of summative assessment um, at, at the extent of which it occurs in secondary schools from seven to 10, in primary schools. Kids want instant, kids want feedback. They learn from feedback initially in the classroom. That's where they want it. They don't want homework. Parents don't want homework. Um, um, sometimes homework is used to justify um, or keep justify the school fees people pay or, or whatever it is. but. You know, really, the research is showing you don't need homework. Assessment's over it. Marking has got to go to the extent that it occurs now. I'm taking mm -hmm. home a big pile of books to mark or, or 30, 30 pieces of S or 30 essays to mark all the time is not improving student learning. That's not that, – they're things that can change. So, mm -hmm. And there's a whole list of other things that teachers should stop doing that support staff can do in schools. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things that even leaders are doing that – really competent support staff can take off teachers, so much administration stuff that let teachers and let leaders focus on instruction and good instructional leadership. Um, there's some of the things I think we've been talking about that you just got to let go, do less. Well, I think we've got to bring it down to where do we get the most value? Where do the kids really enjoy their learning? Where do the teachers um, really enjoy their work? What's and I think that's part part of the issue. There's that saying also, you know, if it's not serving you well, why do you still do it? You know, it's the same. It's the same. What what are we letting go of? And I I think that's uh that's that's core. We've got some comments here from Belinda Burton, Alison Hatton, Jamie McDowell. I'll just put Jamie's up there. Um, Remote learning platforms provided great real-time parent workshops around how we lead learning. Virtual gradual release in action, a much better indirect turnout than if on-site options were provided. And I thank you, Jamie, for that comment because I better show it there um, because, you know, there's there was quite a lot of thought that AI or artificial intelligence and the way we've been increasing the um, intuition of uh, devices, apps, um, to sort of give us the information that we that we want, um, it, that that was looked at as perhaps destructive. Well, in actual fact, our AI helped us remain to be connected, remained um, increased our connections. There were yes ups and downs, band um, you know uh, Wi-Fi bandwidth problems, NBN, you name it. We all have a bit of a laugh about it now, or you know Zooms falling out, various things. But it still allowed us to be connected. So if we were to look at the future for our kids, um, you know where we're still learning without a teacher in front of us. If you if you think about this, we are still able to learn. So what are those skills? that would actually, if we amplified them um, for uh, in our school improvement um, 
plans uh, in our professional development that we put together, if we improved and amplified some of those, imagine the type of learning that could go on if we ended up in circumstances where we keep continually get these um, these pandemic viruses. Um, and the breadth, the, the breadth, sorry, Chris, I was just about to say the breadth of subjects and um, learning for our students across the country, in the country areas, shouldn't just be depend on a teacher who's who you've got on staff. You know, it should be that we've got access to the four unit maths, access to Latin, Italian, you know, Chinese, wherever, whatever it is. I, th I think we've, we can look at it slightly differently. And it goes back to what we value in education, I think. Just just want to be a little bit controversial. I'll put it out there. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, J Jamie Jamie is the principal out at, uh, at St. Philomena's at Moree. And like many of our principals, did a great job in terms of um, trying to create some equity for students because I think COVID has raised a really big issue around student equity. We made sure that students had devices, but it's one thing to have a device, it's another thing to have access to the internet. So, you know, yep. places like Maury, they were providing learning packs. Um, they were also providing online learning. 80% of students in, we're, we're 85 to 90% of students engaged in remote online learning. There was no, the data showed us that. Um, mm. Some of them had to resort to pen and paper because they just didn't have any other choice. But certainly it showed us that we do have the capacity to deliver online um, different certain subjects that you might not be able to deliver in a particular location, but you could, you could collect schools together and provide an online opportunity for learning. Now, we've done a bit of that in the past with some of the subjects that are hard to provide teachers for in local schools. We can, we can have a central point at which a group of students from different schools can access. Um, I think it's given us confidence to do more of that. Um, but, but the thing that happened at Moree and right across our schools is that students could choose their mode of learning, they could choose what they wanted to learn, and they could choose when they learned it. Um, and there's some great messages in that, in terms of mm. when they came back into schools, because they suddenly realised they could be independent learners, they could choose what they wanted to learn, when they wanted to learn it, and how they, what mode they wanted to learn it in. And we also learned that different kids had different learning styles. That perhaps teachers are already aware of those learning styles, but they were a lot more obvious in the in the remote learning. Yeah. Like mm. Teachers probably got to know some kids a lot better in terms of what of how they learned. Mm. So I'm hearing a lot of pluses. I'm hearing a lot of pluses, um, and I don't know about you, Catherine. I I when I think of learning. I always think of the leadership teams and the teachers as part of learners as well. They're, you know, they're, they're learning at the same time. And what Chris has just, um, you know, mentioned is that, yes, the teachers were actually learning more, more about the personalities, more about the, more about the kids, um, but also working together. So I really, um, I'm passionate about how you increase sort of the bandwidth of our own possibilities of how we collaborate and how we connect together um, for, for a sense of great sense of purpose, which is, you know, the education of our future generations because we're not going to see these. We won't see it. We'll be long gone. Um, so it's the work now that's so important, I believe. So any, th any thoughts on that, Catherine? You're full of cheering you tonight, Mary. We'll be long gone and we're going to have... Different no, positive, Carrie. <laughs> okay. Um, look, a couple of thoughts. Firstly, just with what Chris was saying, certainly I've been hearing stories about um, students who have really found their voice because they've been working in different modes. Um, students who had very poor attendance, uh, and ironically, their attendance actually increased during home learning. Well, they were very active in terms of their learning because they were to work in a different mode. And, and I think some of that has been the same for, uh, for teachers as well. And we've had a couple of comments come up around early career teachers. I think this has provided um, an environment where, where early career teachers and other teachers suddenly have found their voice have found their talents, have found their contributions and have really been able to make a meaningful um, contribution with their colleagues. And, you know, you talked about 
stories earlier. One of the best stories I heard was um, a school, it was actually here in Brisbane. It was a big school, four stream school. And during homeschooling, just it was probably more luck than good management. All of the teachers from each grade, when they were at school, they all worked in one classroom. I think it was actually a decision made around cleaning as much as anything else and technology. But the fact that those teachers were in the same classroom all day, different corners of it, but hearing each other's interactions, um, having the opportunity to have just-in-time conversations yeah. with their colleagues, seeking help from each other in a you know in this new world they were all trying to navigate um and and struggling through the challenges together supporting each other that has just turned around the culture of this school um in a way that um some of the more strategic uh, measures have failed to do you know so that's we don't want to let them yeah, we need to take forward into this new, you know, this new world, whatever that looks like, when we come through this. Well, we can, we can, we can be part of the creation of the new. That's what I, I think, and that's that's really why, um, you know, Thriving Matter Studio was sort of created at the beginning of COVID, because education is massive. It's massive for any culture. It's massive for the well-being of the globe, of the world, and where 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 we're going. It's um you know it's an opportunity for um for us all to actually provide a level a bit more of a level playing ground, perhaps. Um, and it could be very well that we uh, we keep a number of things that we've done really well, um, and we look at how we can just get rid of some of the things that are taking up taking us away from actually the face-to-face -face and, the, and the creative teaching strategies. But I've got to take my hat off to your leaders because um, it's, not, it's not necessarily an easy job. It's, it's one that often people talk about leadership as a vocation or service. Um, it's, and it's, you continue to, to uh, evolve as you're, in, you're leading in different situations. And I think that's what I'd like to uh, to acknowledge also this evening that a lot of our leaders, even in the smallest of schools where they're doing many many roles, um, are, are making decisions uh, that have have affect the future of of our of our students. So I don't know about you, Chris. If there was a if there was a couple of or one wish that you had for for education. Um, maybe within the next 12 months or two years, what would it be? Oh, I think we just got to be careful that we um, keep the foundations that we know work really well um, around um, um, good, what good, good learning and teaching looks like, particularly ensuring that um, students get the foundations of literacy and numeracy in primary and secondary school but that we um, change school structures, um, get rid of some of the way we organise our staff, staffing of schools. Um, Catherine referred to, you know, teachers working together in classrooms. That's something that happens broad, very widely in the Diocese of Armidale, like flexible learning spaces, teachers working in teams in classrooms is a great benefit to teacher professional learning all day, every day, and for students to have to two significant adults in the room, sometimes three if there's three classes. It's just I want to see that that sort of work continue and we need to understand co-teaching better. Um, I would like to see more blended learning. I think remote learning has taught us that the use of technology, and let's be careful with their pedagogy first, be clear why we're using the technology and what impact it's going to have because it's always about pedagogy driving the changes, not not the um, not, yeah. not the ICT, but students having choice in that, I think that's going to be very important. Um, yeah, I think to, I'd like to see schools linked more, sharing, sharing curriculum, um, sharing expertise, um, and even students in classrooms being exposed to students in other classrooms, teachers seeing and teachers in, in other places and learning from the best and the best right across a range of schools. Uh, I think we can really explore the use of 
the use of Zoom much, much, much more broadly yeah. um, and its facilities. Um, I think schools are going to have to look very different. Um, and certainly the schools we're building today look a bit different, but I think we've got to continue to push the boundaries and have, have um, I don't know, much more, much better connections with community and with parents and with the business world, with the university world. Um, so that schools really are um, really active members of a community and and um, in a more mm. and are much more integrated in the local community than they are at the moment. Sounds like a collective of intelligence and uh, leadership and learning. It's uh, there, I think there's I think the sky could be the limit really for for how we look at it. But um, Usually it takes us a little while to make some of those major changes, doesn't it? What about you, Catherine? A wish, a wish for the next 12 to two, 12 months to two years? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to the sort of dream that um, Chris has just, you know, sketched out for us. And I think, I think there's a lot there to work on. I guess what's coming up for me is that I think we're in a, we're in the middle of a masterclass on complexity. You know, if, yes. if ever we needed convincing that we work in an environment of deep, deep complexity, then, then this is it, you know. And we've always known that this profession of ours, which we've chosen, is it's not simple and it's not just complicated, it's actually complex, you know, those... Yeah all those webs of relationships and variabilities and possibilities, um, which is what makes the whole thing exciting. And, and the way to work with that complexity is to, is to paint the dream and have the dream and then just take the next little step towards the dream. I think yeah. we've also got a little bit carried away with thinking, you know, we need these elaborate staged plans and, uh, you know, projects and programs and things. I think I think we need to be clear of the direction where, where, you know, that we're setting for ourselves and what that dream looks like. And then we just need to take the next little step and then say, did that work? Well, let's do some more of that. And what yeah. else do we do? And what's the next little step? And it is, you know, like, and that's what I see is happening at the moment. Let's try this and see if that works. And if that works, yeah. let's do a bit more of it. Let's be a bit braver in tackling some of these complex issues. Um, yeah, I just I think it's really exciting, the skills and the capabilities we're discovering in ourselves and each other because of these challenges. And we're just going to keep going. You know, it's important work and it's exciting work. But it's just like, what's the next little step? What's the next thing? Well, it's a bit, it's a, it's a ripple effect, isn't it? And it's we can overcomplicate things, um, and being practical, being meeting the need at the context that you're in for the time that you're in, um, has shown us that we can make decisions that are life giving for our students' learning, for our teachers' learning, for the leadership. Um, a couple of comments just as we finish here. Um, exciting times for education and, you know, agility. Um, I used the word pivot earlier on in COVID and, and, and people just go, they either love it or hate it. So it's it's about being flexible and adaptable. And I think we've got some great, as you said, some great action research, Chris. We've got some examples. Um, and we also need the autonomy to make the decisions at local level. Um, but look, I've got to thank you both for all your comments tonight, for um, doing the thinking, um, relaying what it is you've seen and observe your insights. Thank you for your leadership in this area. Um, it's, uh, it's a phenomenal life that you have chosen for yourselves. Um, there are many, I'm sure, lonely moments um, when you, you have mammoth um, issues or, or problems what do they call them? The big, the big problems, the wicked problems to solve. But both of you believe in collaboration, in developing your leaders, um, being open to different thinking. So I want to thank you for that on um, behalf of my grandchildren. So uh, they're, the, they're the next few generations. <laughs> oh, I think it's I think it's really good you mentioned your grandchildren because I think that's one thing I wish I'd said before is that 
it is still about young people and their learning. It's about yeah. the students in the schools and it's always got to be focused on what's best for them and their well-being. And this has been a tough year for a lot of our young people. Um, year 12 and kindergarten have probably done it really tough and um, yeah. not probably have. And uh, we we've, we have enough issues around adolescent mental health to have, to have mental health issues K to 12. That's um, right. In these times, we've really got to look after them. That's right. And that's, um, I'd, I'd just like to thank you both for doing that on, on behalf of all the families that um, put their trust in you to educate their children and all the leaders who just go, right, I just have to get Catherine Jackson in and have a, have a, have a chin wag with her around uh, all, the, all the skills that she can, um, can help us develop and, uh, and work through. So thank you to both of you. Um, Chris, you're easily found the Diocese of, uh, Diocese of Armidale Catholic School Office. Um, and Catherine, your best contact? Oh, probably LinkedIn, Carrie. It's a good place to find me. Leopard, Leopard Tree. LinkedIn. 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 Thank you very much. Um, we've had a little bit of a Wi-Fi lag tonight. Um, I'm just going to say thank you to our our commenters tonight, our participants. So Jamie McDowd, thanks for right. Thank you for providing the opportunity. Lots of takeaways from two great system leaders. That one we, we're going to show there. Gary Burnett, thank you. Uh, Burdett, thank you very much. Maurizio Vespa, Kate Hinton, Jacqueline Waite, Alison Hatton. Lots of lots of in interesting comments there. Thank you very much for your interest. So if you're interested in more of what I do, Carrie Benedict is easily found, C-A-R-R-I-E-B-E-N-E-D-E-T. You'll find me on LinkedIn and lots of socials. Um, I'm passionate about thriving. Everyone's thriving matters and education in particular. So go gently when you can. Look after those precious ones that you have and that you love and uh, Make sure you get a cuddle tonight from somebody. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Catherine, very much for joining us. Thank you very much for your time and your interest and your passion for education. Bye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Catherine.